friends, you've now entered the Man Cave Podcast, unplugged and unfiltered. This is a podcast where the topics are mostly about sports, but sometimes we mix in some other items, like, is Bigfoot real? Who is the best Batman? You're guided through each episode by a man who's the man for his time and place, Dan Casper. So welcome to the Man Cave, and stick around for a while. You're going to like it here. All right, let's let's figure out this this Packers offense though, because yesterday we were talking about okay, well, you know we're trying to figure out pinpoint. Okay, well it's got to be like talent at wide receiver, right? Got to be that. And then I was thinking yesterday, I'm like, but you know what? We've got we've got examples of this thing, of this group getting it done and and getting W's without the likes of a Devonte or an MVS or even an Al Lazard, or anything like that. And specifically, I'm talking about last year's game against the, at that point, was the undefeated Arizona Cardinals on a short week on a Thursday night game in Arizona. And if you remember, Packers got that victory thanks to a Rasul Douglas pick in the end zone, 24-21 to secure the victory. But... Let's kind of take a look at this here. So it's like, okay, if they can get that done, they got it done then. And then, you know, if you want to, you can go back a couple years ago against Kansas City, and we'll we'll probably bring that game up too and kind of look at uh, some of the numbers and try to figure this thing out while we try to solve this mystery that's going on right now. But let's, let's look at the Cardinals game here first. So total yards... Packers put up, I'm going to pretty much focus on on Green Bay here, okay? So in terms of total yards, the Packers did put up 335 total yards. Only 184 of those came via the pass, meaning, basic math, 151 rushing yards for the green and gold. When you look at it, A.J. Dillon had 16 carries for 78 yards in that game. Aaron Jones, 15 carries for 59 yards. I mean, 31 rushing attempts. 31. That's like double, triple than what we've been seeing the last couple of weeks here. So, clue number one? I think so. We'll get back to that coming up here in just a minute. Let's take a look at some other stuff. Packers had 24 first downs. 24 first downs. Okay, Dan, well, how does that compare to, you know, some of the, uh, like the, the previous game here? Well, just 16 against the Commanders. 16. Third down efficiency. Packers were 0 of 6 from third down efficiency. We're not counting those penalties that got them first downs. 0 of 6. There's a couple things on this thing. So they faced six of them. If you go back to that Cardinals game last year, 14. 14 they faced or had. They converted six of 14. They were also two of four on fourth down efficiency, 0 for 1 against Washington. What does that tell me? Oh, wait. Green Bay had the ball more for more plays on offense. Oh. In fact, total plays, Green Bay, 72. 
compared to Washington, 47. 47. Yeah. Time of possession in this Cardinals game from last year where they had no wide receivers. 37 minutes and 35 seconds. Time of possession against the Washington Commanders. 22 minutes and 53 seconds. So, there's some eye-popping things that kind of stand out to that, right? I'm looking at time of possession. I'm looking at first downs. I'm looking at uh, the amount of offensive plays they were able to run. I'm looking at the running attack. When you go back to that Cardinals game, even with their depleted wide receiving core, they were you know, 6 of 14 on third down. Turnover battles were, were another key thing. The Packers so far this year haven't won the turnover battle in any game this season. None. Cardinal game, they were able to get two picks. And we know about the Rasul Douglas one. Taking care of the football. Right? Uh, it's just... So, Bill Huber had a good good piece up on, on Packers Central that you can... You can check out there. I'll uh, I'll retweet it coming up here in a little bit. But those are the, you know, I thought heading into this year, and, and probably like a lot of you out there right now, probably thought, okay, it's going to be different. We don't have Devontae. We don't have MBS. But we've got a blueprint, right? I mean, how many times did you hear the stat, or maybe you were one of them, like, hey, Green Bay 6 no without Devontae. We're fine. Spread it out. Got a blueprint. We know how to do this thing. Right? I mean, look at a Cardinals game. Perfect blueprint. No wide receivers to throw to. Believe that was the game Tunyon tore his ACL in two, if memory serves me. So I was like, all right, we got we got the blueprint. We got this figured out. We got the scheme. So why are we not maybe following that same blueprint? What's the mystery here? And I understand every year is different. Things are different. Circumstances are a little bit different. I mean, you could come up with a lot of reasons. But you would think that there's something that you could take away from a game like the Cardinals or the game like against the against the Chiefs in 2019. Now, I know the Chiefs and Packers game in 2019 was... A skosh different. They didn't have... That's actually coming up here on the 27th. be two years ago. Anyway, you know, they didn't have Devontae Adams in that game. But looking at... These are your leading receivers from that game. They did have MVS, but he only had one catch for four yards. Jeronimo Allison had one catch for seven yards. Jimmy Graham had three catches for 20 yards. Alan Lazard had five catches for 42. Your second leading receiver was... Mr. Whitewater touchdown Jesus himself, Jay Kumaro, two catches for 48 yards. But it was Aaron Jones, seven catches for a buck 59. Yet Aaron Rodgers was 23 of 33, 23 of 33 for 305 and three touchdowns. So we've seen this scheme, this offense work when it's been missing some of its 
receivers, top receivers. So why? Or, or what's going on here? That's the mystery. And we can point to a bunch of different things, but I think the the big thing here is, and and Matt Lafleur touched on it a little bit yesterday, but you know he talked about because he's going to continue to get asked about sticking with the run game, sticking with the run game until they probably you know get like twenty five rushes, average twenty five to thirty rushes in a game. But he made a point too, and I would agree with him that you know you can't start. When you're first and ten and have a negative play right away, and then you're stuck at second and fifteen, and then followed up with a penalty, and then you're like second and twenty. You know, you, you can't start drives like that. Now that's not to say every single drive has started like that, or not every single first down has started like that. But I think we would all agree that there's been probably more times than not, or a few too many, I should say where there's been negative plays that have really altered the drive. And considering we don't have any faith right now in this passing game, if you're starting off first and 15, second and 17, whatever it may be, you ain't feeling too good about them picking up that first down probably, unless it's you know you get a little bit of help from the laundry that's on the field with the yellow flags. But I also thought Lafleur made an interesting comment yesterday too. And you kind of wonder, and I'm not, when I, when I bring this cup up, I'm not trying to insinuate there's discord, there's drama, there's bickering. Not at all. But I thought it was interesting when he said, you know, kind of paraphrasing, Ryan Wood, who was at the presser yesterday, covers the Packers, had said Matt LaFleur isn't asking Aaron Rodgers to strictly stay on schedule and offense, but his preference is for the scheme to work. Quote, You'd like to get guys open in rhythm. I think that's your goal as a coach. Anytime a play has to go off schedule, I feel like it's a crappy call. So are we getting a little too much off schedule? And then you kind of hear Aaron after the game on Sunday kind of with a little smile and say, hey, maybe maybe I need to go off schedule here a little bit and try to make some plays and, and that sort of thing. But I think that you know if we were to solve this mystery... You have got to win on your early downs. You have got to pick up, you know, some e- some big time yardage on your early on your first and your second downs. I mean, and you just flat out have to do a better job on third down. I mean, you can't go over. You can't go over. That's ridiculous. You go over. Well, no duh, you're going to have only, what, 40-some offensive plays ran. You've got to sustain drives. So if it were me, and we can have like this magical wand out there that you can you know, just do a little fairy dust or whatever and be like, okay, this is how it's all going to play out. You win on your first down. You set up for a second and manageable five, second and six even. Maybe pick up a first or just give yourself a third and one situation. And then don't overthink things sometimes. Don't get too cute sometimes. But this this scheme 
or their offense, I should say, is dependent upon the scheme winning it. And I think maybe sometimes we get, when I say we, I'm talking about Green Bay, they get a little off schedule too much. And then that doesn't allow the scheme to work. But you know, also, too, I mean, you, dudes got to do their jobs. Players got to do their jobs. I mean, you got to execute better. That's why I feel like it's not just one thing. It's a bunch of different things on this thing. And it's all adding up to be one huge problem. But win on your first downs. Commit to the running game. Teams aren't going to respect your passing game unless you show something. And right now, you ain't showing anything. But if you can establish that running game, make it a threat. Stick with it. Don't have stupid penalties that bring back big runs. Hold your blocking assignments. Do your job. Then it'll help out your passing game. It starts up front. Starts with the big boys up front. Do your blocking lanes. Don't get flagged. You know, we always hear offensive linemen, they'd rather run block instead of pass. Allows them to be a little bit more physical. Allows them to show off their athletic abilities here a little bit. And stay on the field. Gotta stay on the field. You can't you can't go and continue to have forty some low fifties plays per game. That that's not gonna win you a bunch of games with this style of or what with how this team is made up. This is not. You've got to win time of possession. You've got to establish that run game, and you've got to clean up the small mistakes. This is a team that has no room for error. So when you look at you know games against like the the Cardinals that they had last year, or or the Chiefs a couple years ago, they've proven they can do it. That's the thing. They've they've proven that this team they can do it. They can win ball games without. Devontae, MVS, and even Alan Lazard. They've proven they, they can go and win a game with your top receiver being your running back, or, you know, in this case with this with the Packers Cardinals one from, from last year, you know, Aaron Jones was your top receiver with seven catches for just fifty one yards. Aaron Rodgers threw the ball for only hundred and eighty four yards. But you've proven you can do it by sticking with the run running the ball for 31 times, 31 attempts. Just between A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, Mario Rodgers had a carry in that game for 11 yards. Now, is it a little bit because of some of the injuries are affecting the the jet sweeps and, and all that sort of stuff? Possibly. Could be. You know, Christian Watson, you'd think by... Him not being in there, he showed earlier on that that could be a role for him, displaying his speed. And now with the with the depth at wide receiver, you're kind of wondering, oh boy, you know, where's that? Where's that going to come from? Amari Rogers now? Amari Rogers might have to play more snaps on offense at wide receiver, given the depth at that position group. But this team has shown that they can. That this offense can move the ball. They can put up points with a depleted wide receiver core with a lack of talent in the wide receiver core. They've shown that. They can do it. 
The mystery here is, why aren't we seeing it right now? Do they have to go back to that blueprint? And for me, it starts by cleaning up the up front, the offensive line. Those dudes have to step it up, play better football, execute better, don't have stupid penalties, and then the play caller and the quarterback have to stay committed to the running game. You have to have positive yards early in your drives. You can't start off drives 1-15, 2nd-20. and 20. If teams are going to continue to put Green Bay in those situations, it's going to be a long day for Green Bay. Do your job up front. Stick with the scheme. Cut down the mistakes. And win and, and win the time of possession. Stay on the field. You can't have three and outs like that. You can't do it. You shouldn't. Now, will that mystery be solved by this weekend against the Buffalo Bills? That remains to be seen. And I think that's kind of maybe what Aaron was alluding to a little bit after his pressers. Like, hey, nobody's going to give us a chance. Maybe that's a good thing. Remember, nobody, nobody gave Green Bay a big chance against Arizona when when they found out, hey, no Devontae, no MVS, no Alan Lazar. Short week. And then remember, that was also the game, too, that, uh, and, well, maybe not the best way to, to bring it up right now because some might be saying, hey, go back to him. But uh, Joe Barry also wasn't calling plays on defense. It was, uh, it was Mr. Gray, secondary coach. But that's how I would solve the mystery. Cleaning up the mistakes from the offensive line, settling down, doing your job, sticking with the running attack. But can't, I mean, it is hard, and I would agree with Lafleur what he said yesterday. It's hard to kind of stay in the, you know, in, in in a run first mentality when you know you're second and seventeen right away. I would agree with that. But that means you got to win on first downs. You got to win on the early downs. And it starts up front. Offensive line play. Winning in the running game. Limiting mistakes. Winning the time of possession. And converting. got to convert. You've got to convert. Extend those drives. That's what they got to do. Your tailgating headquarters is at High V in Eau Claire. Their top-of-the-line meat department, which includes the Dan Good Burger, will make you the talk of your tailgate party. And the dips for snacking? Those are what will make you an MVP on game days. And you never have to worry about High V not having what you need because their shelves and coolers are always stocked up with your favorite goods. Be the MVP of your tailgate party with the help from another MVP. That's High V in Eau Claire, located at 2424 East Claremont Avenue. At Toyson Ford, they're proud to serve the drivers of Chippewa Falls with some of the most popular vehicles around Wisconsin and the country. They're committed to giving drivers from across the Eau Claire, Bloomer, and Elk Mound region the best in customer service with a top-notch selection of brand new vehicles to choose from, as well as an extensive inventory of pre-owned crossover SUV and trucks. Plus, with their expert finance, service, and parts center in-house, they strive to be your one-stop dealer dealership for all of your automotive needs check them out today at toysonford.net all right let's uh let's talk a little bucks here for for a minute so the bucks 
have been rumored to be in talks or interested in the Phoenix Suns' Jay Crowder. Now, Jay Crowder, former Marquette player, familiar with the Milwaukee area, of course. Um, you probably remember him in the finals matchup between the Bucks and the Suns. Jay Crowder's been around the league, been, been with a few teams. He started off his career with the Dallas Mavericks in 2012, uh, then went to Boston, uh, so he was with the Mavericks from 12 to 14, Boston Celtics from 2014 to 2017, Cleveland Cavaliers 2017-2018, Utah Jazz 2018-2019, Memphis Grizzlies 2019-2020, to the, uh, the Miami Heat 2020, and he has been with the Suns since since then. So he's been around a little bit, right? He's been around a little bit. But he is a name out there on the uh, trade market that other potential contending teams are interested in. Miami, Boston, Memphis. Why is that? He's a six-six uh, forward wing player. When you look at his numbers, he averages about nine point four points per game. But he's a physical defender. He's a physical defender. And I think when you think about why would the Bucks be interested in a player like like Jay Crowder, think a little bit like PJ Tucker ish, similar, a little bit similar to to a PJ Tucker. Now, the thing is, when it comes to acquiring Jay Crowder, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what the Bucks what kind of package they can put together. Because they've got inter- like different rules when it comes to NBA trades. Because if you're reading some stuff and it's like, oh, they can't trade Pat Connington till December, they can't, you know, trade so and so till then. Well, here's the reason why. So with the CBA breakdown, okay, when it comes to when it comes to trades, when a player for a player, uh, if, if he signed a contract. I'm going to bring up the the actual verbiage here. But essentially, if they sign that contract... So remember, Pat Connington signed a contract this year. They have to wait until December to be able to to trade him. Same with with, uh, Mr. Inglis. So any free agent playing on a standard NBA contract may not be traded until the later of three months after they sign or December 15th. That's where you're kind of looking at, and that's where some people are kind of wondering, maybe the only option for the Bucks to acquire Crowder would be to trade Grayson Allen. So, if that were the case, let's just make it easy on ourselves here. Would you be okay... And try to take away the Duke thing. I know. It's hard for me, too. I'm not a Dukey. I'm not a Dukey. But if it were to be, let's just make it simple, main pieces, Grayson Allen for for Jake, Jay Crowder. Would you be up for that? Would you be good with that move? Grayson Allen, career-wise, a little bit better of a three-point shooter, perimeter shooter there. And, yeah, just reading a little bit more here, Grayson Allen is the only one-for-one trade option on the board right now. The other names that we mentioned, Pat Connington, Joe Inglis, Jordan Nora, 
or role players who can be combined to get the deal done. But again, like we said, those players are not trade eligible until mid-December or mid-January. It's that three months, right? So we kind of take a look at that, you know, because a lot of it would depend on, you know, if the Suns, I think the Suns still view themselves as a playoff team with, you know, championship aspirations. So they're probably going to want a player that can help them out in return, right? It's probably not just going to be draft picks. And probably want something in return for a player that can help them out right now. So if it were Grayson Allen, would you would you be good with that? Try to take away the dookie side of things. Try to take away your 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 irritability towards Duke, if you will. So let's just kind of compare these two careers here for a minute. Grayson Allen is the younger of the two. Okay. He, he is the younger of the two by about five years. Uh, Grayson Allen just turned 20, 27. Uh, Jay Crowder is 32. Throughout, and we're just going to look at career numbers right here because Jay Crowder hasn't even played yet this year. They're still looking for trade partners. But um, Jay Crowder has, throughout his career, averaged 9.6 points per game, 4.3 rebounds per game. He has shot 41.7% from the field, 34.6% from three. Grayson Allen, career numbers, 9.4 points per game, 2.6 rebounds per game. He has shot 43.1% from the field and 39.2% from the three. So the biggest things to me, we're seeing a lot of similarities if we look at the numbers, right? But I think in order to answer this question, you have to answer, are you wanting more three-point shooting? Or I should say a little bit more consistency in three-point shooting. If we look at what Grayson Allen has done throughout his career, 39.2% from three compared to Jay Crowder's 34.6% from three. Would you rather see better three-point shooting or would you rather see better defense, which Jay Crowder brings? So, to slim it down, would you rather have the defensive player in Jay Crowder or the three-point shooter in Grayson Allen, the perimeter shooter in Grayson Allen? Which one? That's what it's going to kind of boil down to. Now, ideally, if they could get Jay Crowder over and, and not have to give up Grayson Allen, if somehow they can wing it, I'd be, you know, <laughs> bring it on. The more tail it, the better. Come on, baby. Let's bring it on. Let's, let's, let's go for this thing, right? Perimeter defense. I'm all about it. As a fan, I'm all about it. I want all, I want everybody on my team. I want all these players on my team. Let's go. And I think Jay Crowder would be a good fit for the Bucks. But is it worth giving up Grayson Allen? Well, it's a tough call for me. Normally I would be like, yep, let's do it. But you kind of have to wonder, okay, where who else on this on this Bucks team can you get three point shooting from? You got Carter. Chris Middleton's still out. You know, Inglis is supposed to be a three-point shooter when he comes back, but that's not going to be till January. We know Brooke can hit it from uh, from the corner once in a while. So if you give up Grayson Allen, are you confident that the Bucks have enough three-point shooting on their roster right now to make up for that? Ooh, I don't, that's a toughie. I mean, I know I said on Twitter yesterday, I'm like, bring it on. But then it's like, oh, it might have to be Crowder for, for Allen. And it's like, oh, okay. 
Now, I'd like a little bit more consistency from my starting two guard than what they've got in Grayson Allen, but if it's between those two, ooh. defense or three-point shooting? Do the Bucks have enough three-point shooting without Grayson Allen? That's the question. That's going to do it for this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. Big thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. And a reminder, never miss an episode of the Man Cave Podcast by subscribing to the Man Cave Podcast. We're already on your favorite podcasting platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. And don't forget to give us a solid rating too. That way other people can find the Man Cave Podcast. Until next time, I'm Dan Casper, and we'll see you in the Man Cave.